several, several times before to just kind of slip away from the pressures of the day. And he goes up there with his disciples. And he takes a handful of them and he says, Guys, I want you to pray right here. I want you to pray because time is drawing nigh. I want you to pray so you don't fall into temptation. I'm just going to be a stone throw away, but please pray. And Jesus leaves them. And he goes this short distance over here and he begins to pray to his father. But his body begins to break down. He's sweating drops of blood. He is under so much stress, so much anxiety. And he prays to his father. He says, Dad, is there any other way? Because see, Jesus knows the cross is coming. And he says, Father, let this cup pass from me. Is there any other way? And he comes to a conclusion that not his will would be done, but the will of his father. Actually, that decision had been settled a long time ago, but he finally finally said it. Not my will, but Lord, thy will. But he comes back over here to these yo-yos, and he finds them asleep. Wake up, guys! Pray! Don't you understand that time is drawing nigh? Please! Please! Pray! Pray! He goes back to the same spot. And he prays the same prayer, that not his will would be done, but the will of the Father. By this time, the night has settled. The sun had went down. And Jesus is on top of this small mountain. And he looks down at the base of this mountain, and he sees a few hundred folks. Oh, they've got some lanterns and spears and swords. And he recognizes some of them. Oh, there's those religious leaders. And there's some folks that he had fed and that guy that he had healed. And Jesus knows that they're coming to look for him. So what does he do? Does he run down the other side of the mountain and slip out of town? No. Does he call Peter and say, Peter, come here, boy. I want you to wear my robe, and I'm going to stand back here. Does he do that? He doesn't do it. Jesus waits until every one of them comes around the bend right over there. And then he yells at them, hey, who are you looking for? And one of them yells out and says, we're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. I'm him. I'm Jesus. And at just the mention of his name, every one of them fell backwards. They picked themselves up so they didn't realize whose presence they were in front of. They knocked the dust off their pants and they said, Jesus says, ask them twice. He says, who are you looking for? Several, 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 happened to me. (laughs) Several, 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 I'm him. I'm Jesus. And again, the second time, they fell backwards. Just his presence. There was this one man named Judas. Judas comes busting through the crowd and he goes, Yo, Jesus, how you doing, man? And kisses him right there on the cheek. It was a setup that whoever Judas kissed, that that was the real Jesus. Kissed him right there. And you know what Jesus says to a man who just betrayed him? 
who just set him up, he goes, hello, friend. <laughs> to somebody who had just betrayed him. Now, Peter, <laughs> one of the servants steps in the way, and Peter draws his swords. And he starts doing these Jackie Chan Bruce Lee moves. And he's going for the high priest's head. And he slices the servant's ear clear off. I can picture Jesus. I can picture Jesus going, oh, Peter, 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 Peter. (laughs) Army, hold on just a second. I need to talk to my homies for a minute. (laughs) Guys, come here. And he gets all of his disciples around. He says, now listen. I've got millions upon millions and millions and millions and millions and more millions than you'll ever understand at my beck and call. Guys, it's going down tonight. I'm being betrayed tonight. I want you to trust me. I want you to follow me, okay? Let's stick together on this one, okay? It's all part of my father's plan. Trust me, okay? It's, it's going to be okay. Go all together? All right. Oh, uh, <clears throat> by the way, Peter, put your sword up. Because if you fight by the sword, Peter, you're going to die by the sword. And Jesus walks over, begins to dig in the dirt and the sand until he finds this man's ear. with healing power that only the Son of God could do, walks over and gently heals this man, and all the pain is gone. Jesus turns to the mob and he says, Here, take me. They handcuff him and they begin to drag him down this mountaintop. It's late at night. It's after midnight. In town, the high priest is there. The high priest is going to put on a trial. It's a joke. Okay, it's a joke of a trial because the high priest doesn't have the authority to put one on. He's a priest. So what, what does he do? He, right before he sends Jesus in, he says, okay, okay, I need a, we're going to have a trial. I got people and uh, I need testimonies. I need testimonies. Sir, I want you to say that you saw Jesus do this, okay? You're going to say you saw him. And sir, I want you to say that you heard Jesus say this, Okay. And then Jesus calls, I mean, the high priest calls Jesus in. He says, let the trial begin. Testimonies, testimonies. Sir, what did you see Jesus do? And this guy's going, "Uh, well, um, now, was I supposed to say? The high priest says, forget you. Oh, what did you hear Jesus say? And this guy fumbles. He's like, "Uh, well, you know, there was that one time the high priest is getting so upset because he's determined to get not this man named Jesus silenced, but determined to get him put to death. He is frustrated. And he comes right over to Jesus. And he comes to Jesus and he says, <laughs> Jesus, <clears throat> are you the Son of God? <laughs> Jesus turns toward him. The song, with a strong, distinctive voice, he says, I am. I'm the Son of God. (laughs) The high priest is somewhat taken back, 
And he turns and he rips his clothes and goes, how dare you say that? I mean, <laughs> I mean, you heard from his own lips. The guy thinks he's the son of God. You heard him. You heard him. What more proof do we need? So he takes Jesus and he says to the Roman soldiers, guys, take him out back while we rough him up. Have some fun with him while we figure out what we're going to do with him. And so they take Jesus out back. And they tie Jesus up. And they tie him to a post about right here. They strip him of his clothes. And they take two or three Roman soldiers at a short distance. And they get a whip. And you know what's on this whip? Is broken pieces of pottery, sharp rocks, and like animal claws. And they took that whip. And they would get up there and they enjoyed themselves. They would... And that whip would fly in the air until it landed upon Jesus' body. Across his neck, across his thighs. And once he got a good grip, he would... And that first splatter, the blood went all the way to the back row. And by the time that Jesus had endured all those stripes, those beautiful cobblestones were soaked with Jesus' blood. But yet he never said a word, not one word. He endured it all. See, they weren't trying to kill him at that time, but they were trying to break his spirit. They were waiting for him to say at any moment, I give up, stop hurting me, I'm not the son of God, just joking, guys. But he never said a word, because all this was part of his father's plan, all of it. They beat him. They took Jesus over to Pilate. Pilate was like the governor at that time. The Pilate didn't have much of a backbone. You know, he was just kind of playing the political game of the day. And he didn't have, he didn't do much. Matter of fact, even Pilate's wife came and whispers in his ear, says, don't have anything to do with this man named Jesus. I can't sleep at night. And Pilate kept asking him a lot of questions. And Jesus would say things like, my kingdom's not of this world. And he takes, I mean, takes Jesus back to the crowd, to where the high priest is. And he says, I don't find any fault in this guy. Uh, And he finds out that he was from another part of the country and sends him over to Herod. Herod was another governor. They bring Jesus back. They, They take Jesus over to Herod. Herod was very excited to meet Jesus because he heard that he could prophesy and do magic tricks. That's right. And Herod would get up there and make fun of him. He says, go ahead, Jesus, do that. Hey, I heard you turn that water into wine. Do do that one. That's my favorite one, Jesus. And Jesus doesn't say a word to him. Not one word. And so they took the idea that Jesus could prophesy. And they took a blindfold and they said to Jesus, Hey, Jesus, hey, you're like a prophet, aren't you? Can you see through that, Jesus? How many fingers am I holding up, Jesus? Huh? Can you see that? He doesn't say a word. Not a word. Who hit you, Jesus? Who hit you? Huh? Which way am I holding up this stick, Jesus? Son of God? Huh? You ain't nothing. Do something, man. And he never said a word.
They take Jesus. And they beat him and beat him and beat him. But you know what? Even though he never said a word, I know exactly what he was thinking. Can I, can I tell you what he was thinking? Would you like to know what Jesus was thinking? Would you like to know why he never said a word? I, I can tell you. Because he was thinking of you, sir. That's why he never said anything. It was like a video. All of the people that's ever been born or will ever be born, it was running across his mind. Because he knew that Jesus was, Jesus knew that he was born to die. That's what his mission in life was to do, was born to die. Because he, that was his plan. He, he died. I mean, he, he thought about all those truckers that are going down I-40 right now. Jesus knew about all those inmates who were locked up in McAllister on H Block on death row. Because he knew that someday each and every one of us would need a savior. That's why he never said a word. Because he's always been focused on you and I. Always. You know what he said? He said that you're the apple of his eye. And he says that grace is sufficient. And my peace I give to you. And you're forgiven. He's always been focused on you and me. That his will would be done because he is the, truly the master artist. They take Jesus. They make a Roman soldiers made a, a crown. Thorns that were two or three inches. And they mocked him and they put it on him. They took a small hammer, pounded it upon his head. They had taken Jesus back into see Pilate. The high priest was determined to get this man quiet. Not just quiet, but put to death. They wanted him put to death. Pilate finds it and ends up going over to a bucket of water, you know, to wash his hands. And before he says, washes his hands, Pilate knew that the Jews had an unusual custom that they would let one pass one prisoner go at Passover. And so Pilate gets up there and says, who do you want me to set free? We, we got Barabbas over here, a known terrorist of the time, a man who had killed, sto- stolen, murdered, you name it. We finally got him. Would you like for me to set him free or this Jesus guy who has never committed any crime just thinks he's the son of God. Who do you want me to set free? And what did he do? <laughs> the people began to yell out, set Barabbas free! Set Barabbas free! And Pilate is stunned. And he says, all right, <laughs> go, go Barabbas. And I bet you Barabbas was a little surprised. <laughs> and then Jesus says something very interesting. He says, what then shall I do with this man named Jesus? You know, that's a question that each and every one of us in this room is going to have to answer. What are you going to do with this man named Jesus? 
the high priest is working the crowd and saying, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. Right before Pilate washes his hands, he says, fine, we'll crucify him. But his blood's going to be upon your hands and your children's children's hands and your children's hands. Send him away. And they took Jesus and they paraded him through the streets of Jerusalem. Now get it, understand these guys. Just days before, Jesus had came in on a donkey and they had branches and they were singing Hosanna and Jesus was the big man on campus and everybody just wanted to get a touch of his garment. Oh, they were so exciting. And these same people turned on him like a pack of wolves. Some of them getting close up to him, just wanting to trip him up, spit on him, yell at him, and mock him. I ask you, what changed? What changed? But Jesus kept walking and carrying that cross. He tripped and he failed, and they got another guy to help him. And they took him outside of the gates of Jerusalem, about 900 yards. There's a big hill. And at nighttime, when the sun hits it, I mean, right before the sun hits it before night, and it creates a shadow, and it looks like a skull. And they call it the place of the skull. And they take Jesus up this hard, rugged road to the cross. And they lay him down on the ground, just like this. And one of the Roman soldiers had been taken a nine-inch nail, just like this. And they stretched Jesus' arms out, and they took that nine-inch nail, and they put it in the, the wrist right there. And they wanted to make sport of it. With one hit, it had to go through the skin, the ligaments, and the muscles. With one hit, that Roman soldiers took that mallet, struck it, and it drove down into it. Man, I tell you, I would have loved to have been there to see that Roman soldier's face when Jesus gave him his other arm. And they stretched him out. And they took another nine-inch nail and they hammered it in. There was a hole about four feet deep that when they would raise the cross straight up, the cross would fall into that hole to give it support, but it would jerk the body. They took a small ladder, they leaned it up there, they took another nine-inch nail, they crossed his feet and would had to go all the way through and nail it into the cross. And Jesus hung up there for several hours. He even looked down and they were playing dice for his clothes, like the prophet said would happen thousands of years prior. He can see his mama at a difference, at a short distance. He can see some of his disciples not sure exactly what to do. And they had put Jesus between two thieves, one on the left and one on the right. One of them says, hey, Jesus, if you're the son of God, get yourself down from there. Do you understand that Jesus doesn't even answer him? Because Jesus doesn't respond to unbelief. But his friend on the other side rebukes his buddy. He says, shut up, man. We're getting what we deserve. (laughs) And then the guy goes, hey, Jesus, remember me. And Jesus is full of compassion and love, even on the cross. And he looks through that swollen 
blood face. And he looks over this, this guy and he says something like, Hey, I've already made a place for you. I'll see you in paradise a little bit later today. Jesus was up there. At one time he said, can I, can I have a drink of water? Please, could somebody get me a drink of water, please? One of the Roman soldiers thought it would be funny to take a long stem like a spear and put a sponge on it and soak it in some foul liquid. Thought it would be funny. And he raised it up and put it on Jesus' face, and Jesus smelt it. He goes, oh, goodness. Forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. Do you know they put up a sign on top of that cross that said, King of the Jews? Boy, did that tick off the, a lot of the Jews, especially those religious people. They were like, get that sign down from there. And Pilate said, no, nah, we're just going to keep it up. Now, here's the exciting part. Here's the exciting part. When Jesus said it was finished, he died. And he did. The earth began to shake. There becomes an earthquake, and the earth got dark. And on the other side of town where the temple was, there was a curtain that was five, six inches thick. And at the second that Jesus died, that that curtain began to tear from the top to the bottom. It tore. Nobody around it. It just tore. And you know what that symbolizes? It means now that nothing is separating us from a holy God. That we can go boldly into his presence. That the curtain has been torn. We don't, know, we don't need a priest to come with us. We can go into the presence of God because he's made a way where there was no way. That's what it does. And when that earthquake began to shake, you know what? Dead people began to come out of the ground and they walked among them saying, hey, you know that Jesus that you crucified? He was the son of God and you killed him. And they began to testify how good of God he was. Oh, it's a wild story, isn't it? But it's all true. <laughs> And he walked among us telling us what a good, good Lord he is. They took Jesus and they put him in an empty tomb. They did. They took his body into an empty tomb. They put a huge rock in front of it and sealed it. They got some guards that guarded it. And Jesus was in there for three days. And after the third day, another earthquake came and an angel came. And the angel came and he bowed the stone away. And if you were there, and if you would look inside of that empty tomb, you would have saw Jesus laying there all wrapped up. And if you would have looked close, three days being dead, he would begin to start breathing. And then Jesus sets up and he swings his feet over. And I believe for a moment he just paused because he knew that as soon as he walks out of this place, that the world would never be the same. And it hasn't been. And he walks out fully alive. They didn't recognize him at first. And some of the rumors that some of the disciples heard that he was alive, and Thomas said, oh, I ain't going to believe it until I see it. I'm not going to believe it until I see where they got him with the nails and with the spear in the side. One day, Jesus, the disciples were upstairs, in an upper room, and Jesus walks through a solid wall, and he walks right over to Thomas and says, Hi, Thomas, it's me. 
and he shows him where they had got him with the, with the, with the nails and with the thorns. Scripture says that Jesus was with us probably for about a month. And then one day he is out on the hillside with some of his closest friends. And he says, guys, I got to tell you something. I got to go. I don't want to go, but I got to go. But I'll make you a promise. I'll come back. I want to tell you about the Holy Spirit. He'll give you comfort. He'll give you boldness. He'll guide and direct you. Get to know him. He says, but I'm coming back. Because there's a small Methodist church in Broken Arrow, Oklahoma, that I'm coming back for my church. I mean, that's what he was thinking. Because <laughs> he knew. He's going to come back like in the twinkling of an eye, like a thief in the night. And Jesus has always been saying, get ready. Just get ready. Get your lamps full because I'm coming back. And Jesus does one cool thing. You know what Jesus does? And he's out on that hillside. His feet leave the ground. And he begins to float past the shoulders and past the clouds up into heaven. And do you know what he's doing right now, sweetheart? Jesus is sitting at the right hand of his father. He's sitting there. And do you know what he's doing? He's praying for you and for you and for me. That we would give our whole hearts to him. That we would be so focused on him because of all that he's done for us. Would you stand with me this morning? I want to ask you a very important question. I want to ask you this question before my wife comes and sings. You've heard the gospel story today. For some of you, some of the pieces maybe had come together. You've heard bits and parts of it, but today they all came together. But here's my question to you. Are the things that you're living for today worth Christ dying for? Are the things that you're living for today worth Christ dying for? And if it's not, I challenge you to get it right. Because my Lord and Savior has paid an awful big price. Jesus says that he'll never leave us or forsake us. He says that even though we walk on the water, we will not drown, and through the fire, we will not burn. As she sings, I'd like for you to come to the altar and pray. Some of you will come to the altar and finally find Christ and what it means to be born again. Others of you need to come to the altar and say, Jesus, thank you. Thank you for loving me like nobody else could. Would you come?
to you just in closing look at me when Jesus was in the garden and they arrested him Jesus was in complete control and when they put on that mock joke of a trial Jesus was in complete control and when they took those nails and they put them in his hands Jesus was in complete control. It was all part of his father's plan. God had a purpose for his son. And God has a purpose for each and one of your lives. That he is molding and shaping you into his image. That so that you can go and do great works for him. That you can glorify his name with your gifts and your talents. 
So I pray that God would work continuously in your heart, that you would be reminded that this gospel is the most powerful force in the world, that we all have a responsibility to take this story and share it to this world with your gifts, with your talents, and with your personality. The Holy Spirit will give you boldness and will give you an opportunity to tell you it's a true story and it will change your life. God bless you.